good evening, good evening. Welcome to another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. It's a duo today. Doc, how you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. New year. Ready to really keep things rolling. I had a very solid 2015. And so kicked it up with a bang and ready to kick in the new year with a bang and keep things rolling. What about yourself? Well, New Year's Eve was awesome. Listeners know I am a proud University of Houston alum, so to see the Cougars really dominate Florida State 38-24 in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, and I think there was 70,000 announced for attendance, and a large group of that was U of H alums. Great to see them travel. Great to see the Cougs play well. The offense defense really surprised me. Um, it contained Dalvin Cook, Florida State, pretty much the entire game. Secondary gave up a few big plays in, in the second half, but the offense, Greg Ward Jr. and Kyle Postman came through when Greg got injured in the fourth quarter there to, to seal the deal. Huge win for Coach Herman in the program. What an understatement. You know, finished season 13-1, should be top 10 when the final poll is released. Right. To, just to see how far they, they came in, in Doc, you know, I, I said in previous podcasts that uh, I didn't expect them, I expect them to be better next year than this year. Next year's going to be hard to top this year, this success, despite all the recruits that have verbaled in the signing days five weeks, roughly five weeks away for the uh, spring signing period. So those young men put their pen to paper. The future's bright, and you know we're indoors. But I'd have my shades on if Coo's future is so bright on under Tom Herman. They got <laughs> uh, season ticket deposits are available not for the 2016 football season for for people who want to climb on board and buy tickets. I'm already a season ticket holder, so I'm just waiting for the notice to renew my tickets, which I'm going to do without a doubt. But folks who don't have tickets yet. You can go online and, and put your deposit down and, and join uh, all, the, all the fans in the excitement at TDECU Stadium. Well, first game is going to be in the stadium where the Texans play. Yeah, right. third against And they get a chance to make another statement. They have Oklahoma. Outstanding win before we get to Oklahoma and kind of moving forward is um, I think they played a tremendous game. And it wasn't about jumping out and just holding on. They made offensive plays after – Florida State got their rhythm and made some big plays, like you said. They answered, and every uh, Florida State that tried to close them down, if you would, run them down, Houston made an answer and just made it very solid that they, they were they were planning to be there, and they wasn't there just to have fun and play the role of uh, letting Florida State Seminoles do whatever they wanted to do. They let everybody know that they would be a team to be reckoned with. A lot of momentum, as you said, no question about it. Should be top ten at the end of the year, which I think is more important statement is they have many key comp- uh, positions coming back. The fact that they should put relatively be ranked high coming in the next year, top ten, definitely top twelve, if you would. And if that's the case, they got a chance to play Oklahoma. We saw what Oklahoma did this year, and my statements about the Big Twelve. Uh, Which was what, sir, for those who are new to, to our podcast? They were overrated. And I think if you look at the bowl games, um, if the bowl people had to do over again, I think you would easily see Stanford in uh, instead of Oklahoma. 
which is a, a, a tough way to do it if you think about coming in next year is the fact that you have Oklahoma, so they're going to need to make a statement. So I think it's a good time for U of H to be playing Oklahoma in regards to what they're doing in the Big 12 compared to the other Power 5. And no matter how you look at it, you beat Oklahoma, and you know they're going to have a solid season. Definitely. So that puts you in a position uh, to at least be knock, knocking on that door. Depending on what everybody else does, you can't necessarily control it. But if you get your win, you control your area. And if you find a way to maybe run the table after that, uh, it makes everybody else really nervous in terms of what they have to do to stay in that picture. So kudos to U of H. Uh, it's very good look for, obviously, the school. The university, the president's going to be feeling good about what's taking place. Obviously, the coach is feeling good she was, she in multiple ways. She should be. I she mean, was she thrilled, could, honestly, yeah, that, she that game. She should be. Uh, she made the calls on a lot of this. So we get on presidents when we don't think they're doing the things necessarily in the roundabout pitches. So I'm the type of person, when you get it done, I'm going to give you kudos and say, job well done. They found a way to get the money from the alumni to pay the coach to keep them around at least for another year. That's all you can ask. Right. You do your part right. and uh, to make the decision for him as hard as possible. It's obviously, he likes Houston. He has you know a history with Houston. And so if you can get that done, it builds the program in such a way, if any opportunity comes out with expansion, that you're in the ballpark and you're in the picture. You've done everything pretty much on your side to do what's necessary to move this program forward particularly with football, and it looks like basketball is going to ride that Men's field. basketball, Doc. Men's basketball, yeah, yes. Let me clarify that. Men's basketball is going to move forward with that. And um, we'll see how that goes and keep everybody abreast on our thoughts on that. We have some key games to talk about that. But let's stay on football and focus and get back to what you were saying in terms of what are your thoughts for next year. Well, and when we say next year, now we're talking about this year, 2016. Yeah, 2016, because <laughs> as we touched on, you know, September 3rd at NRG Stadium, the Cougars versus the Sooners in the kickoff class. Get your tickets. You got to be in the house. Uh, this team needs that momentum of people being in the stands and supporting them for two things. Not only in terms of easily the way they play football, but remember, in a lot of ways, this is an interview. Exactly. This is an interview for conference expansion, uh, it looks more clear than ever that the Big 12 it definitely needs a championship game because the way they played in this playoffs, the playoff people have no no other choice but to question what is going on in the league. So they need that 13th game, if you would, just to deposit at least another resource because I'm not sure if they're going to get the same benefit of the doubt they got this year. The irony is... Baylor and TCU salvaged the Big 12's face with backup quarterbacks in right. their bowl games. Right. But even with TCU, if you watch that game at the first half, I mean, you give them credit for what they did in the second half, and obviously they were coming in without their quarterback. It's a little different when you have at least one or two days to right. prepare your quarterback and just a half time to prepare your backup quarterback. And so they were dominating that game. So I give them credit for playing and continue to yeah, get it not done, quitting. And not yeah. quitting and winning the game. But if I'm a big person pitcher, you've seen tweets out there, and I was tweeting people back and forth. My cousin that is a, a, a alum of OU 
Uh, and he was just saying, man, the Big 12 looks horrible. And I was like, man, this is ugly. This does not look good. And they made the run and came back. But still, that's the image I have. And you talk about Baylor, essentially only one. But Kansas State looked solid, but they didn't get it done. And uh, Oklahoma State looked like they shouldn't have been in the Sugar Bowl. Like they didn't belong. At all. Yeah. Um, so this is a great opportunity for U of A. So fans need to get out there and support that. And I say that with a guy that is going to be going down the street to open up the Prairie View Stadium. But I think uh, fans uh, that obviously are not first fans of Prairie View, everybody else that is not going to go down there and see like the Labor Day Classic, if dates don't change, I think they're still kind of looking at that, which would be smart. But at this point, uh, you're going to have a lot of choices to make. <laughs> and let's, and I Good choice. Just scrolling through uh, West Virginia Edge, Arizona State, in the Cactus Bowl. Yeah, and that was a good game. I stayed up. It was the last one. They they made, so, they played that game. They went with back and forth. They stopped them uh, on the last drive. They scored before the last drive. So it was nip and tuck back and forth. So kudos to West Virginia, Arizona. Very good game. Very solid. And the Big 12 really needed that to lease. And with that, that gives them, I think, three. You have the Big 12, three bowl wins. And let me just say, the Cougars Conference, the current conference, the American Athletic Conference, went two and six. In, in their bowls. Yeah. Let me add one other but thing to that the that kind of goes back. Was U of H. Yeah, which is a huge one. The right. biggest one that you needed, probably the statement, but which separates them from everybody else in a lot of ways, uh, which should be good for recruiting. But also thing I noticed was the Celebration Bowl uh, was third, if you would, or fourth in terms of the G5, the next five. Mm-hmm. Versus the Power Five, they they'll end up being right in the middle, 50 percentile in terms of all 40 some bowl. But 40 if you bowls. take it, yeah, which is another discussion. Uh, but if you take the Celebration Bowl with 35 five, they made a statement in a lot of ways. They got you were talking about before we opened up and decided where we we're going to go with the conversation. One of the other things we were talking about how some of the ratings were low. Wasn't the case for the Celebration Bowl. They had the second highest rating that day. They were trending number two on regards to um, Twitter account. And the Celebration Bowl out of, outpaced 16 different G5 bowls in terms of attendance. I think that's a nice statement. It's, it's, it says a lot. And, and the game was exciting. Yeah. Unlike um, many of the, the bowls the last few days. And we could talk about because... The semifinals were blowouts. They played New Year's Eve after U of H's win on Florida State and Stanford's mauling of Iowa. No, no, was that that was, that was New Year's Day. But on New Year's Eve, you got the semifinal games played, and then after that, the next day, and then January 2nd, you still had more bowls being played. It just takes away, to me, the semifinal games. If you have other games being played after that, before the championship game, yeah. clearly the presidents did not think that way, and they're trying to where it is and all the press releases and news you see on, on the Internet. If they wanted to create a tr- new tradition to having the semifinals on New Year's Eve. And, and, I, and, I, and in a lot of ways. Good in theory. Well, I don't think it's necessarily bad. I think it, t- it will take some time to carry on. 
I know for myself and a lot of friends, we actually kind of built the New Year's around the games. Now, obviously, the gentleman I'm talking about, again, Ben, is a OU fan. So, naturally, he's going to watch the game. But I think there's a lot of people that don't just go out and celebrate New Year's like they did traditionally. So, this is another way to capture that market. So, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I think the biggest thing you have, have is, is that body of people really have to do their homework to make sure that they're setting up these matchups. But if you don't set up the matchups, that's the key thing. If you don't have good games, and as long as so much that you control, but part of that is really making sure you have the top four teams, making sure you match them up in such a way that you have the best matchup. And we'll say maybe I'll, uh, they'll have the best matchup for the final game that Alabama-Clemson obviously seems like it should be a really good game with what seems to be the best two teams in the country. But in a lot of ways, that's the problem you have with marketing this. I don't necessarily have a problem with all the 40 bowl games. I'm a person now that just watches the game. I'm a casual watcher anyway. Um, so I You're one of the few. I think 40 bowls is too many, especially when you're having teams losing records participating in those bowls. Yeah. Now – and we could touch on them, spend this, take this a few different ways. You know, there's a 45% ratings drop between this these semifinal games compared to last year's semifinal games. This is the first one. Last seasons, you know, the first season. So y'all was going to get a hype for that sure. level out after and that. And, of course, you know, 38 nothing thumping of Alabama missing State is not going to help ratings turn the second half. And then Clemson beating Oklahoma by 20. In the second, in the second half, half first half ratings either. Yeah. Um, so those are were other factors in it, but <clears throat> the number of bowls, you know, and the gifts to the decision makers, you know, then we can lead into TV giving the decision makers money and and raises that the ADC and the presidency, and yet the, at the and the coaches of course get. Yet at the same time, they tell the public, we don't have enough money to pay our, the, the student-athletes. <laughs> well, you know how I feel about that. I definitely disagree with that. And that brings us to a study that pe- people may want to go read um, that uh, Kevin Wallstein, Tatish, uh, Nati- Natia, and Lauren McCarthy wrote on December 30th titled, Racial prejudice is driving opposition to paying college athletes. Here's the evidence. We've talked about this for some time, at least I especially have at least alluded to the fact that a lot of this has to do with the, the ethnic makeup of the individuals that are participating in it. And I've called it out uh, definitely what I thought it was, exploitation at its highest, particular exploitation of a class of individuals, which in a lot of ways is just pure anti-American. Definitely uh, against capitalism uh, at the root form. But I think you should go Doc, you can't, you can't say reading Doc. this article. It's in the Washington Post. Doc, anti-capitalism. Oh, Doc, you know that's just not... Are you saying that? Come on, Doc. American. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm talking about. Go ahead, go ahead. Social theory. Back it up. So, go ahead. You know, Back it up for the listeners. Socialism, I don't have a total problem with all that anyway. But let me break some of this down. And they really did what many people all along have thought about this. They kind of laid it out in the story. And I think you should read the story. Essentially, they talk about the historical framework 
they give a financial money, uh, which is crazy to me when you look at it. Uh, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, NCAA, will receive $7.3 billion. They were a little off on that. Obviously, the college football playoffs is separate from the NCAA, so the money goes to the Power Five, and they have – uh, the ability to disseminate it, and they do disseminate some to the G5, which I kind of call quiet money or hush money, and they even pass that down to some level to the FCS, if I'm not mistaken, by some of the stuff. But this money will go from 2014 to 2016, $7.3 billion. Think about that. I didn't say million. I said $7.3 billion. With a B. Um, and then you have the $11 billion, which actually does go to the NCAA for basketball money, which is from CBS and Turner Sports broadcast March Madness over the next 14 years. So essentially you're getting um, right at $7 billion a year, if you would, if we kind of look at it over that period of time. It, there's about a two-year gap where it spreads out. And oddly enough, CBS and Turner are so happy about their deal, they're even talking about expansion and <laughs> making sure they keep a hold of it. This money, but that's the type of money you're talking about, and this does not include merchandise, concession, licensing fees. This is just TV money, just pure TV money. So, you have individual schools that bring in, such as Kentucky for basketball in the final four run they had last year. Very exciting, I must add. Uh, was worth eight million dollars in revenue, and you telling me that you cannot afford that's the term they use. Now, I'd rather just come out and say we don't want to pay them because be honest. Yeah, yeah. we don't think we should pay them. But they try to cover it up and say when you ask questions and get deeper in, they can't afford to pay it. Oddly enough, they want to say that you the money goes over here pays for the other sports. Now, if you take this out of a sporting context and you did that over America, uh, people would have a fit and they would call it welfare and would say that that's not right and that's socialism at its worst. And we're not a part of that. But in sports, that's okay. And I think a lot of the reason is, as they suggest, is that you have black bodies in these two sports, football and men basketball, namely, that are the architect of the individuals that are doing all this work. And so they're nobody anyway. We see that with other evidence when you look at some of the policing in this country, uh, the incarceration rates, which made for some people getting too far off. I, I guess I should say the plantation. That might really drive some people nervous. But let me back off for that for a little bit. But seriously, um, it's estimated with the Southeastern Conference, SEC. So each of these big five conferences, which you know by now, are the power five that a lot of people talk about, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, and Pac-12, will make an estimate of $50 million from college football playoffs this year. Say that one more time. $50 million, but you can't pay these players. It's on a, it's not what we do. They're amateurs, even though in the Olympics they're amateurs. Oh, that's right. They don't use the word amateur anymore. They're college. It's college athletics, which has this whole separate special field, which is an oddity in itself. Many pundits call it exploitation, which I'm on board with that. I thought they have a great quote on here from Jay Billis, an ESPN college basketball analyst, and credit to him. He's sung this for a long time. Sure he's seen it. Uh, he's very open to saying it's not right. And um, so you don't have many people in his position at the ESPN level, a uh, face that would come out against this. So kudos for him standing up for what he sees something that is wrong. Uh, 
former Duke University basketball player, wrote in the New York Times, quote, it is not immoral for the NCAA to make money off of athletics, but it is profoundly immoral, immoral for the NCAA to restrict athletes from receiving compensation while everyone else is profiting. And that's the key here. If people really look at this, everybody else has the right to make money except for the players. How ironic is that? There's not a person out here that would um, deal with that in the job market that they were in. And even in college, everybody else, if you're in the band, uh, you're a musician, you're a physician, a physicist, and you're able to make money off your skills in terms of what you can do, whether it's uh, tutoring people and stuff like that, it's fine for you to go make money. Um, but in football, basketball, no, that's not right. He, they allude to and touch on the Atlantic article that people should know by now. If you haven't read this, you definitely need to go back and read this. This was a little older, so somehow it may escape some of y'all. Taylor Branch wrote in the Atlantic that, quote, the real scandal is not the student athletes are getting illegal paid or recruited. It's the fact that two of the noble principles in which the NCAA justifies ex its existence is, quote, amateurism and, quote, the student athlete are cynical hoaxes, legalistic confections propagated by the university so they can exploit the skills of fame of young athletes. And again, we know that these athletes, 50%, uh, as high as 60-70% in some sport basketball versus football about 60% are kids of color, African American. And even John Oliver on HBCU last week tonight opined that quote, there is nothing inherently wrong with a sporting tournament making huge amounts of money, but there is something slightly troubling about a billion dollar sports enterprise where the athletes are not paid one penny. And some of y'all will sit up there and say, well, they're paid by the scholarship. The scholarship, no matter what estimates you use at the highest level of academic institutions, are not worth the economic that they would bring to the university off of that. And even if you amortize that over the life of an athlete that has a great job, it still doesn't equal what they bring into the institution. So um, people need to understand that whether you appreciate it or not you need to at least understand that in the scholarship and they finally have found a way because they were getting so much breath back after the UConn Connecticut star talked about the fact that he uh, went to bed hungry Pierce mm -hmm. talked about the cost of living in regards to that so finally the nuts and bolts of this study if you would talked about that mostly blacks want college athletes to be paid and mostly whites don't. So even in terms of your fandom, in the study, it looked at the fact that if you ask these questions uh, from a poll, you can see that. In 2015, there was an example of HBC Real Sports marriage poll found that 65% of Americans do not think college athletes and top men's football and basketball programs should be paid. So that's a significant number, 65 but when you look deeper into that number and you break that number down in terms of ethnicity, blacks and whites, you'll find out that they think differently. In every survey to date, blacks are far more likely to support paying college athletes when compared to whites. And so then it begs to ask, why is that? And so that's probably the next study that you'll see is in terms of, and I have my own opinion from what I've read, what I've studied, but I want to interject that into this particular paper at this time.
The racial division on controversy issues is nothing new. We've seen this going back in our politics, oftentimes in other frameworks of life. We've seen this, uh, whether it's policing, <laughs> we've seen these issues across the board of just two Americas, if you would, if you look at the Americas between ethnicities known as blacks and whites in a lot of ways. There's this just total framework, different framework of how we see life in America and across the world. Uh, but oddly enough, this gap is growing. Yes. Which I think in a lot of ways is sad is that you do have this juxtaposition that continues to grow. And you find that whites' opinions are paying college. And obviously, this is on average, so we're not saying that all whites are all blacks. Uh, when you conduct the survey of opinions, pay for play policies using a 2014 CCES uh, proposal talked about the fact that they saw a negative racial view about blacks were the single most important predictor of whites' opposition to playing college athletes. Let me say that one more time and make sure that you caught that because I think this is a seminal point of this study that will scare some people, frankly, and make others frustrated, and some people will just disregard it. But it's a serious study. It was done above board, and it is what it is. And this is where if you feel that this is the case, you may need to look back at yourself and find why do you have these type of feelings. Uh, when in there, every other attitude, you wouldn't have a problem with somebody making money. In a statistical analysis that control for a host of other influences, that means if you're looking at a study of those that do not do statistics, that means that they control this variable and wanted to particularly look at one variable and see did it make a difference. And so you controlled all the variables in such a way, statistically, either using the SPSS or SAS, uh, are the main ones that are out there. And these are nothing new to different people that do studies uh, uh, finding out the different areas. And what it found out was there is a negative racial view about blacks where the single most important predictor of white opposition to paying college athletes. So if you ask the question and you looked at it through the lens, the biggest rationale that people would find out of why they didn't want to play athletes wouldn't be any of this other stuff that they try to put out there in regards to college athletes or amateurism and things of that nature, really the single predictor was the fact that they knew that the players that are playing these games have a high level of, of African Americans playing and that they would be the ones getting paid. The same players that they cheer every Saturday, Friday, Thursday now in football games, but they don't want them to get paid. Correct. So they cheer them as long as they're making them money, making them happy, but as soon as something of discourse embarrasses them or doesn't go in their way, then you'll find out that the negative impact is just the opposite of the positive cheer that they try to highlight. And that's why you get some of these incidents at Oklahoma, the most famous one recently, obviously, at Missouri, and you see them across the board when they pop up their head. So those are some of the things that you're seeing out there. It was important when you look at tests like that, you do validity. So they control for validity and made sure that this was a valid test in regards to the thing. And they did those kind of things conducted in the experiment. And before they asked white respondents whether college athletes should be paid, they wanted to show that one group picture of young black men was stereotypical African-Americans, first and last name. So they made sure that they could tell that these individuals were people of color. They gave them very, um, as we would say, ebonic-sounding names that people 
uh, would recognize as names that African Americans use more than not. Uh, and then they would not show another group the picture. And so when they control for the bonding names and the color of the individuals playing, you got different responses. So that's how you could easily tell the validity of the test showed off that in this case of the individuals that they polled, it surely was based on prejudice uh, of the individuals, which is um, sad in a lot of ways, to be frank. Well, let me kind of close it up as so we can move on so we won't take up the whole podcast. But I thought this was very important that we brought it up. You know, me as the professor, I think it's nice that we can interject not just excitement of sports. We're fans of sports. We're to be frank we're on sports that. and more. That's our, one of our hashtags, sports exactly. and more. We get a chance to influence and talk about the business side at times, and other times we go into the academic arena and look at um, other questions and, and serious and oftentimes tough, and sometimes for other people even frustrating questions, to be frank. The last statement here is the fact when we talk about playing college athletes, we're talking about race. Last paragraph they hear, and I'll read this verbatim because I think it closes out perfectly. In other words, the discussion about paying college athletes is implicitly a discussion about race. As the representative of nearly 1,200 school conferences and affiliation organizations, the NCAA should consider how much it wants to be based its policies on public opinion that may be tainted by racial prejudice. Not that they will move in a different directions, but at least somebody is calling them to the table. And hopefully as further discussions as we are doing and maybe other radio stations that are worth the um, weight will at least look at this. And the last thing I think is important to go ahead and talk about these individuals in their backgrounds in terms of Kevin Walston is an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at California State University at Long Beach. Tatis uh, Nate is an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And Lauren A. McCarthy is an assistant professor in the Political Science Department at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Oddly enough, you notice that they're all the fields are in political science, uh, which people do um, the social sciences. But this touches obviously in the area of sports management. And uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst has one of the top sport management programs out there. So it's intriguing when I saw that name that they were on the political science side versus the sport management side. The last thing I will add here is a little pub, if you would, for the podcast or if you want to catch it live, Dr. Ville's Inside HBCU Sports Lab. We've reached out to, to teach um, Dr. Nate and uh, we should have him on the show. He's agreed. We're trying to finalize everything, so uh, don't hold us to that, but hopefully we'll work it out. We'll have him on the show this Tuesday. The show is from 6 to 7 p.m. every Tuesday, uh, Central Standard Time, and you can dial in to www.kcohradio.com. Right now, you cannot listen to it if you're just going and driving over antenna airways in your car, so I would tell you to do your tune-in app on your phone. You can still get it that way uh, at and search KCOH and it'll come up. You can listen to the show live. You can obviously go to 
the website, you can do www.caseawaystreaming.com and do a search on that, and it'll come up, and you can listen to the show live. If you're not able to get to the show live, definitely understand that. We record it as a podcast, so you can go to SoundCloud, and it's usually up in a couple of days uh, at SoundCloud, and when you do SoundCloud, you just do a simple search for Dr. Gaville. It comes up, and obviously you can do even further Dr. Gaville's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, and this should be show, show 71. So if you put in 71, it'll pretty much put you right to the show that'll come up. And this will be our first show of the year. And I think that's a great way to get off the ground, to really get deep before we get into the basketball season. And we can talk about some basketball now. Not yet, but thank you for that. Thank you very much for that. I want to piggyback on that because also in the Washington Post, touched on the rising payrolls oh, and yeah. support staffs. That's a good one, too. That the NTA does not legislate the the number of people on a support staff. So you're seeing those bloom, blossom in the last 10 years, last decade or so since 2004, uh, this article references. But basically, for example, it's non-coaching payrolls uh, have risen from $454 million to $767 million, which is a 69% jump. For example, I love this line. UCLA, from 2004 to 2014, UCLA Athletic Director Dan Guerrero's salary increased from $299,000 to $920,000 to, to do the same job. Nice. See, that's the, that's the line right there, to do the same job. And his administration grew from 97 to 141 employees, boosting UCLA's non-coaching payroll from $9.1 million to $16 million. In all of the 2004 salary amounts have been adjusted for inflation. Let me say that again. $9.1 million to $16 million. You have staff... Going up at Michigan, y'all just pick a Power Five big time program. University of Michigan athletic director in 2004, William Martin, made $361,000, and 15 of his admin employees made $100,000 or more. Ten years later, AD at Michigan is now Dave Brandon, made $900k, and the number of his administrative staff making $100,000 or more had risen to 34. And these are the same folks saying they cannot afford to pay the student-athletes. You have Alabama support staff, as I think last count was 60. Wow. Their support staff, that's their non-coaching payroll. Support staff, you have their strength and conditioning coach getting paid $600,000 a year. Their strength and conditioning coach. Florida State's non-support staff. All the big-time programs, like I said, the NCAA does not put a limit on the number of non-support staffers. So naturally, the programs took that kind of loophole and ran with it. Florida State, Bobby Bowden, retired 2009. The football staff payroll grew from about Two hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars in two thousand four to one point four million in two thousand fourteen. The support staff in two thousand four 
had nine people. 2014, the support staff has 38 people. On and on, I can go down this list. You can go, go to WashingtonPost.com and just research it and Google it. Look up non-coaching payrolls at 48 schools in the five wealthiest conferences. 10-year period grew almost grew $313 million from 2004. Now, interesting study, and people would want to hear this. If you look at that and those people that grow, I wonder what is the ethnicity of the individuals involved in that, and does it tilt in one direction? Well, naturally, hopefully there needs to be a study, but we could hopefully, we could hope for a lot of things. Right. But reality says that the majority of those folks do not look like me or you. Exactly. But they won't pay the folks that they, they look like But they you. cannot afford to pay the folks that they look like me or you. <clears throat> So, just want to tie that in as well. And we all talked with some basketball. Conference play is underway. The U of H men are 2-0 and in the two road wins. Conference, excuse me, 12-2 overall, but the 2-0 in the American Athletic Conference. Both those wins coming on the road, including Saturday's surprisingly thorough thumping of the Temple Owls 77-50. The game was aired on ESPN News, most of U of H's game, conference games, will be in one of the ESPN family of networks, and it was a thorough butt-whipping that Coach Samson's crew put on Coach Fran Dunphy's squad in Philly on Temple's home floor. Rob Gray Jr. did his thing in the starting lineup for the Cougars. I think Rob scored 28 points. And then off the bench, Ronnie Johnson scored 17 points for the Cougars. The Cougars, 34 of the Cougars' 77 points came from the bench. Wow. So that shows you how well the bench played. Very nice to have that. And the game went by fast, too, Doc. You know, the game finished in roughly TV time, an hour and 40 minutes. There was enough time between the 2 o'clock start for the game analyst to speak to, to Coach Sampson. Uh, Tim Wells interviewed him. I have those comments from Coach Sampson on my Houston Rum Bar Review men's blog. You can go check out and read for yourself at HoustonRumBarReview.com and look for the men's blog. Or just follow me also on on Twitter at VHRReview and I have a link to the blog post as well on there. But it was a, it was a thorough, thorough victory, 77-50. This coming after the one at USF by six on uh, December 30th. Their next, their first home game of conference play will be January 5th, 8 p.m. start, because it's gonna be on ESPNU. Game will be against Tulane. Now Doc, allow me a moment to say this to my U of H alums. All of you alums who love U of H football, love U of H football, are grinning and glowing and beaming from the success, and rightfully so, obviously, of Coach Herman and the football program. The U of H men's team plays Tuesday, January 5th, 8 p.m. start. I know that's a little late for some of us. It's late for me as well. But if you want to continue the success from football to basketball for it to carry over, buy tickets and get your butt inside Hallfine's Pavilion and fill up Hallfine's Pavilion. As Doc said about um, 
the U of H Oklahoma football game in September. These are basically interviews for the big time programs. They want to see how U of H supports the money sports. If they tune in to ESPNU January 5th and see Hoffline's less than four, five, six thousand folks in there, what are they going to think? So, I've seen on the very popular Coog fan message board, some some of the alums are asking and encouraging people to go to Hoffines, buy your tickets, support Coach Sampson and the men's basketball team, put your money where your mouth is, get your butt inside Hoffines Pavilion. We want to be, be a big-time program in more than just football. Baseball team is doing well, did well, is ranked, highest ranked, in the, the conference in the preseason poll that came out for 2016. Buy your tickets. U of H Athletics, golf team, track team, football, men's basketball is doing big things. We need to support the athletics like a big-time program deserves and does from other big-time programs across the country in the other Power 5 schools. So I'll be at the game on Tuesday. And just so folks know, I also put my money where my mouth is. I spend money for athletics, but I also get a press pass. So I do both. I'll be there Tuesday. So I hope to see your face in the place, no just tune, tune to it, ESPNU on Tuesday, January 5th, and show your support that way. No, no. Spend some money and be at Hall Finance Pavilion on January 5th. Then you got UConn. Men's team coming on January 17th. Game's going to be on CBS Sports Network. It's a 1 p.m. start. And since we're talking about UConn, it's 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 hard to say this with a straight face. But Doc, greatness will be here Friday, January 8th. Yeah, I have it in my phone. January 8th, UConn women's team, undefeated in. Huskies, will be here to thrash. Uh, Coach Huey's Houston Cougars, who are 4-9 overall. They're playing better. They had a rough game Saturday in their home loss, home opener loss to Temple. They uh, trailed, I think, 17-3 after the first quarter. Wow. But they came back to actually lead the game in the fourth quarter, hmm. but didn't have enough to close it out. That's yeah, a lot of energy, to, so, but to fight back like this is a lot. So Exactly. So Coach Huey and the staff slowly bringing the women's program along, too. But, greatness, Coach Oriyama, Brianna Stewart, and the rest of the UConn players will be here. And for some reason, I have no idea why, but the ESPN2 is going to carry this game and broadcast it Friday, January 8th, 8 p.m. tip-off. The game will be over in the first quarter. Trust me, it'll be over soon. But if you want to see a great team play and great players and a great coach and see what Coach Huey uses motivation. Eight o'clock. Coach Huey uses the Huskies and Coach Oriema as motivation for his players in terms of practice habits, in terms of how they play, how they carry themselves. UConn, as every coach should do, use that as a standard bearer of how this is where we want to be. That's where they are. We they're where we want to be. If you don't want to be a part of that, maybe it's not the right program for you. That's so every coach should do it, in my opinion, in women's college basketball. You see other top programs are doing it. 
Notre Dame, South Carolina. The Pac-12 has numerous teams ranked in the top 25 because they have finally accepted the fact if we want to be UConn, we need to start acting like UConn. Play like them, pattern our game after them, recruit like them. So the women's game is getting better, slowly. Everybody but UConn is on a competitive level. That's right. Two to 25 competes. One to two, fill a gap. Huge. So hopefully, when UConn plays South Carolina, the game is going to be in South Carolina, I think it's in February, it's going to be part of Big Monday, I believe. Hopefully, the Gamecocks will make that game competitive, if not pull off an upset. Because that's what the non-diehard fan need to see in order to have interest in watching the women's Final Four. Because all my media colleagues on the women's side know it, and, it's, and they say it, write it, print it, that it, you know you don't like the blowouts, the team need to play better. That's true. But, and it's a big but, we need to see UConn lose. We need to see UConn in competitive games. Unfortunately, in the conference, in the American Athletic Conference, it's not going to be a lot of competitive games for UConn. Maybe USF, maybe, hopefully USF, they're ranked 20-21. Hopefully those two matchups between USF and UConn will be competitive. But if not, get ready to the tournament. And that's a long time to wait when you're going to see, you want to see a competitive game involve UConn in a conference matchup. That's where the conference needs to be. There's nothing wrong with losing a game here and there before a tournament starts. Parity's getting there in women's college basketball. You see upsets now in the opening rounds of the tournament. You don't see UConn losing now. UConn will be in Final Four. UConn will be in Indy. The guru of women's hoops, Mel Greenberg, has already said, I'll put it on Twitter a few days ago, that the cupcake part of this UConn schedule is about to begin. And he's referencing the conference. The conference. Wow. So there we go on that. Doc, let's talk some swag play. Yeah, with the swag play, I was really intrigued about this first game jumped off. And we'll kind of come back to it, but I'll start it off because it was the matchup that many people were looking at, which was Texas Southern Southern. Last three out of the last four years, these teams have fought to see who would go to the NCAA tournament fighting for the regular season championship and even last year playing in the championship game to see who would go to the tournament. And obviously for the last two years, it's been Texas Southern. Three out of the last four years, they've got it done in terms of that. Looking to try to win four straight championships, that's unheard of in basketball in this conference, particularly for Texas Southern, even though this is a school with a great basketball history, including a 1977 NAA NAIA, I should say, Men's National Championship uh, on the co- coach, Bob Moreland. With that, Southern had some huge non-conference wins, including over Mississippi State, right there in the backyard against Tulane. They came in the game at 8-5, and five, uh, very solid in terms of what they did, and just the opposite for Texas Southern. Texas Southern came in the game 1-11, and 11, uh, not having a lot of success uh, outside of what they did last year when they played and got some big wins, including the win over Michigan State. So with that, obviously, New Davis, Mike Davis, I'm talking about, head coach of Texas Southern, comes in very solid, confident in terms of what they want to do. Said they were playing a little better, even though they hadn't able to get the wins on the court. Uh, coach Banks for Southern, I thought, 
at least this game would be close. I was leaning towards Southern. But this is a blowout, 22 yep. points. Um, before we get into... 88-66. Yes, before we get into some of the scoring numbers, let's jump back in a couple of other games in the SWAC, and then we'll bring it back home and close out with Prairie View that had a very disappointing loss at home, and it continues to be a long season for say, say Panthers on yeah, men's So you have uh, Grandma State. Huge upset, overtime over Alabama A&M, another team that was playing really well in non-conference play. They got a victory over Tulane, had a game, a victory over Virginia Tech. Tulane is in what conference time? American, mm-hmm. so we talked about that a little bit earlier. It gives some people some <laughs> insight on what's taking place there. Grambling um, came in the game with two wins, uh, none against Division One competition. They come out of there with a win in overtime. They've had trouble. Uh, over the last couple of years, getting wins in the SWAT, they jump off at home, getting a big win over Alabama A&M. Many people's preseason pick to win uh, the SWAC for seniors, show what they did in non-conference, including what many people have tabbed. His name is actually tabbed mm-hmm. <laughs> as the preseason conference player of the year. They get it done. Mark Gray and Nigel Rivero scored 18 points apiece. And Grambling State beat Alabama A&M, as you talked about, 81-78. to um, So the score for Alabama A&M was Nicholas West with 19.7 rebounds and three assists as he tried to get it done. But the Bulldogs of Alabama A&M in Huntsville go on the road and lose their first game, which means they have a very tough matchup where they really need to find a way to get it done. And Jackson, and this is a red-hot Jackson that also got – uh, upset in many people's eyes. This one I thought would be a little closer than the Alabama A&M. I did have Alabama A&M winning the first game. Alabama State had a great preseason. Very good coach with Coach Jackson down there getting it done. But they go on the road. And this was always a feisty contest. Always close. So it didn't surprise me. It was close. But I thought they would find a way to pull it out. Nope. Jackson State looks like they're for real. They had some big wins. They also had a win over your Tulane of American. Uh, they were 6-8, and 1-0 and now in the SWAT competition as Alabama State is 5-8. and eight. So you see some teams that were pretty uh, adept of getting some wins, and Division One wins at that uh, preseason. But now they're in the conference play. Jackson State gets it done. So, again, now you have Alabama State going to Groundland in the need of a win. And I probably think the key matchup early in this year is that Alabama A&M at Jackson State. You really would hate to get off. Uh, although it's on the road, and the rule in the swag is pretty much win at home and find a way to split on the road. So Jackson State is trying to get, jump out of the gate 2-0. Big scores in that game for Alabama State was the guard, uh, Bobby Brown, who had 18 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. Yes, Bobby Brown. Not the Bobby Brown that you're probably thinking of when you first hear that name. But at Jackson State, you had Chase Franklin. The guard of Jackson State had 21.6 rebounds and 3 assists. Really playing some good basketball. As we get into really what I want to talk about, Texas Southern, that matchup, jumping back into that, Thomas, Chris Thomas, the transfer, uh, two years ago scored 25 points and grabbed 10 rebounds as he had a masterful game, really playing big. Derek Griffin, coming off the football field, has actually done better on the basketball eyes than many people. He's just free show really getting it done. He jumps off and gets a double-double. 11 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, Shat for half 
part of the second half is he got in foul trouble. Uh, got a couple of blocks in that game. He's a blocking machine, rebounds on the board. You can see that. And he has some amazing, masterful dunks as he just excites the crowd as he is a legend in the making right here at Texas Southern University. So if you're in Houston and you want to get out to see some exciting basketball, uh, you got a couple of games you can choose from. You can go over here to ULH, come right over here to Texas Southern University. You have some very talented kids, talented programs. And more than likely, you're going to see two programs that are going to be pushing the envelope and have a very good chance of playing the NCAA dance. So if you're one of those that want to fill out your 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 your, your, your puzzle uh, for the tournament, you your, might your bracket. bracket and uh, get it all locked in early and kind of not guess. And then here, this is a chance to get you some insight in terms of what's going on in that game. Uh, Tony Nunn uh, was the high score for Southern and let you know how they struggled. He only had 10 points, six rebounds. He did have four blocks. Uh, just really amazing to me. The guards of uh, Banks were really held in checks as they scored less than 10 points apiece as they struggled throughout the game. Uh, and when I'm talking about Trulane Banks, the guard, the son of Coach Banks, uh, in 35 minutes only scored 11 points as he struggled mildly. Uh, Christopher Hyder. Only had nine points, so three ground rotation of Adrian Rogers put a 14, uh, big one. But the, probably that many people sitting up here and trying to figure out what took place was the guard play. David Blanks taking over for all everything. Uh, David Blanks had a great game. He had a triple double, ten rebounds, sixteen assists. Let me say that one more time. 16 assists, 11 points. He was doing it alley-oops, passing all over the place, making key shots, and obviously with assists, with getting it done. Uh, and for a guard to get some rebounds, you really love that. So they had scoring machines all over this. And this is without Malcolm Riley, who really had a great preseason, only scoring nine points. So as they start to jail and get it done, it was big. Jose Rodriguez, who struggled a little bit during the preseason, coming off that knee injury, looks like he got himself back in the groove. He got a little confidence, and when he gets confidence, uh, the Bronx Bomber, he gets it going. 18 points as he got it done. They're a big game for him, accolades for them. As Gibbs is gone, and maybe people will question, but it looks like they found the answer in blanks as he got it done coming off his swag. Yeah. First swag appearance with a triple-double. Yeah, we'll see if DJ Blanks can – be consistent. That's the question. That's the key. Uh, I was right going to bring yeah. up is, is, is his consistency, and he has a chance to get it done. As they did all Gibbs was, was like a rock. He was a rock. You knew he was going to get you you the whole game, but you knew he was going to get it. And he played overtime 40 minutes. Yeah. He'd give you 38 minutes like it wasn't nothing and come off the game and look like he'd go get on station yeah. back and give you another 30 minutes if you asked him to. And you're like, Coach, hey, man, slow down. He's across these, uh, getting a chance to show his skills. Credit to him. I've actually had a chance to teach him in the classroom, and I've literally saw him mature from a quiet country. Uh, when I say country, not to disparage people from the country, oh, but he really yeah. was from all city kid. Mm -hmm. uh, very quiet, uh, very disturbing. And sometimes I had to question if he's paying attention. And I asked the question. He's right there. He's doing it in class, but he had that quiet disposition, and you had to pull things out of it until his senior, year, at least on the court. Where he was masterful. He's pointing, yeah. putting people in positions. Uh, coach was so excited about what he did for the program while he was here. Is the fact that he said as soon as he finished uh, his career, wherever he is, he's definitely bringing him in. 
as a, as assistant coach, student coach, and then moving up the rank as long as he would like to make that a career and stuff. Last game we talk about for folks in this area, probably not a surprise, unfortunately, but uh, Rim is really struggling over there at Prairie View A&M, 0-13, 0-1. Uh, Alcorn came in the game just 2-9, two, two and nine, uh, but they got their first conference win. Octavi Octavius Brown got it done, uh, hit a jumper late in the game. It really solidified it as Patrick Owinu went 4-4 four for four on the line to make sure that they hold out the win. Octavius Brown put up 22.6 rebounds and one steal. The bright light, if there is any, Zachary Hatton, the forward from Prairie View, did score 31, four rebounds, one assist in the loss. Uh, but it's obviously he's going to need some more help if they get it done as they are struggling mightily. Many turnovers for Prairie View. They tend to play the better at home, but it will be interesting to see if they're going on the road. They have two more games, and these two are going to be tough. And they could be 0-3 out of the box. They play Southern, uh, who's going to be really assertive and want this game after a 22-point beatdown in Texas Southern. You know, they're going to be hungry to try to make sure they at least split on the road. So that's not good for Prairie View. And then the third game, even though it's at home, it's against the Texas Southern Tigers to just beat that Southern team that's favored by in many people's eyes also to be up in the race. Beat them by 22. Where, so, is, where is that wow. game going to be played? TSUPV Saturday? It's Saturday the 9th. Yeah, it's in Prairie View, if I'm not mistaken, the first game. Because we need to check and make sure because ESPN has it. It's like it's HMP. Well, then it yeah. flipped last year. Um, here, if they have it, it's here then. It's it's, it's at uh, HMP. So I'm glad you called that no, out because I'm looking forward to it. Uh, well, I'm not. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to it because it's, it's PV and TSU. I think it's going to be a butt whooping yeah. this time. But um, yeah, because the last time they came over here, Rim uh, found a way to at least make the game close. Uh, he got one at home. Finally, but uh, he really had, doesn't have much answer to Mike Davis over I mean, the last couple of years. You know, robbery, some of his worst, you know, me downs have against yeah, Texas. Southern. Robbery makes strange things happen, but ooh, this Saturday, I just I'm hoping it's competitive. Yeah, we need it to be for the league, but yeah, I'm like you, I don't yeah, see it being yeah. close. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna come because it's always a sight, and the gym should be packed. Students will be sneaking back on the campus as they get ready. Um, some of them a little early as they don't really have to be there later, but a lot of them are going to want to be in the crowd and be a part of this. So you should have a really good crowd. Um, they actually had a great crowd for Southern. It surprised a lot of people. Mike Davis said even uh, when he came out of the crowd, he said, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I heard him post-game. <laughs> he he was excited to say, hey, they really look like a basketball, what we're doing here. And they went there and credit to Southern. Southern is, uh, as they should be, coming off preseason. They're excited thinking about what's going on. I, Probably a lot of disappointed Southern fans after that game it may have snuck out of here a little early to get back to the house. But they at least showed up and did a great job. Bring us to Monday. As we said, Alabama said to Gramlin, um, that will be Gramlin trying to see if they can get off to a 2 0 start. First time in a long time for them. Uh, 10, 15 years of them being able to do that. Putting two losses on the Alabama schools that were picked to be in the hunt. So that should be an interesting matchup. And then the second one is Jackson State. As they want to get off to a 2 0 start, they host Alabama AM. That's going to be pushing to see what they can do to make sure they uh, get it going. And so some of the guys that you want to look Real at. Real quick, Doc. Sure. Got the box score from a TSU Southern. Said the attendance was 2,467. 
that's that's a that's a good crowd for school I've been in. That's Saturday right. first game of swag play, and I say that remember let's let's remember this number two thousand four six seven. U of H alums, U of H Temple, U of H Tulane, January fifth. Needs to be better than 2467. Yeah. 2467. Yes. U of H Tulane needs to be better than 2467. They got to get 2,500 more, essentially. LSU ain't going to be at all fines Tuesday, January 5th. <laughs> so, y'all need to make up the difference and beat 2467. Because I feel certain that Saturday TSU preview game will have hell of a lot more than 2000. Four six seven inside ATP Arena on Saturday. No question night. about it. There you go. Yes, yes. Basketball is back, and everybody is excited at Texas Southern University, and they're coming out to see those Tigers play. Uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff will kick off their season actually on Monday as they travel to Mississippi Valley State rivalry game. This will be interesting to see what's going on in this matchup. And you have Southern traveling the Prairie View as we talked about. And last, you have Alcorn State right here at Texas Southern. That game will be on ESPNU. So those that want to see Derek Griffin do his thing, we want to talk about Blake, the guard, to see if he can be consistent. It's a good chance to see that. Chris uh, Thomas, as he's playing well, you see a little bit of that. But this is another chance to see. That's ESPN tip-off. ESPNU. Tip-off. So that's one to get excited about. MIAC does not tip off to next week, so we'll save a lot of that uh, talk until then. A couple of matchups they did have today I thought was interesting from the standpoint as you had some MIAC uh, Ivy League matchups uh, with Hampton hosting Princeton. Didn't go that well. Princeton got it done, 89-59. Now they play some very good basketball up there, but Hampton was the team that was supposed to come down here and play Texas Southern, but it was canceled because of weather. Uh, some people say also in regards to that game was supposed to be in Birmingham at one time with a promoter, and then it was moved to Houston. Couldn't quite work out the logistics of getting the game. I hate that it didn't work out because that was an intriguing matchup from the fact that you had the two teams from the respective conferences, SWAC and Miet, that won their tournaments and made it to the NCAA tournament. You would have seen those teams facing off, so that would have been an interesting matchup. On the women's side, you had um, – Harvard coming in to play Howard today. So that was interesting. I think Harvard got it done in that matchup as well. So that'll kind of give you some dust up, if you would, as you get into MIAC play next week. Some key matchups going on that you want to keep your eyes on as they actually start the season before they leave uh, for the winter break. They'll play two pairs of conference games, so they're getting back into the rotation. So you'll start seeing the polls come out. Uh, this week after that. Key matchups for next weekend. Delaware State, Morgan State give you a little uh, idea of what's taking place. Coppin State at Howard. Howard has uh, was 78. They have a guard named Collins. Uh, 11 points per game, 4.8 uh, rebounds, and 2.5 assists per game. Playing some very good uh, basketball. Keep your eyes on him as he is actually the guy that shot a big bucket to beat Texas Southern that we just talked about in Las Vegas for a tournament down there. North Carolina Central, South Carolina State. That's intriguing. Many people have heard North Carolina Central, Coach Bouton, as they have been in the race uh, to win the MEAC. 
Looks like they're doing a little bit of rebounding, but we'll see what they do as they get into conference play. This is the same North Carolina Central team that played Southern in Las Vegas a couple of weeks later after that Texas Southern Howard game, and Southern got it done. Big win for the SWAC over the MEAC uh, in terms of those matchups head-to-head if you like to see every once in a while. Then you have Florida a and Norfolk State traveling up to Norfolk, Virginia to get on that. And obviously you have the road team, so you have Bethune-Cookman traveling to Hampton uh, next Saturday to get that done. The other one, the last one, you'll see here is North Carolina A&T uh, at Savannah State. Savannah State is... Um, in the basketball business, especially on the men's side, so that's an interesting one to keep your eyes on as the Aggies are led, uh, trying to get back to the tournament as they did two years ago. So that'll kind of do it in terms of the HBC basketball report at the major division level for some big games uh, this week, and then you'll see the swag and people starting to rotate as they get further into the games. I'll talk about those key matchups and then pass it back on to you. Because you have some rivalry games next week. Brown State at Southern next Saturday. Jackson State at Alcorn next Saturday. Then you have uh, Valley and Arkansas Pine Bluff doing the Alabama swing, which is Arkansas Pine Bluff at Alabama AM and Mississippi Valley State at Alabama State. And as we just alluded to, you have the 7-30 game with Prairie View traveling to Texas Southern, H&P Arena, as it will be packed to see uh, what many people will think is actually probably a beatdown on the Panthers. But well, well, we, you and I think it's going to be a beatdown. You know. But that's why the players show up, and that's why you play the games, because they will be hype. And oftentimes, when any time you just think a team is going to beat, you get those intriguing matchups where it goes down to the wire, and you just never know. That's why the right. games have to play. motivator. Yes, sir. So, you know, I'll be in the place on Saturday. So looking forward to it. Hopefully it's competitive. And, of course, the women play prior to the fellas. Tip us should be, what, 530? Yeah, it actually will be. That should be a good game. That should be a good game and a very extreme. It's always a hotly held contest. They go back and forth in terms of wins. As you know, Prairie View has won four of the last five championships, four in a row. And uh, two years ago, the championship game was played between Prairie View and Texas Southern. Texas Southern has got it done in the regular season the last couple of years as they've won the last two out of three uh, regular season championships, being in the top race. Obviously, we talked about, unfortunately, um, that they did not play in the tournament last year as they had that altercation with Southern the game before and had so many players involved in it that they couldn't suit up enough to be able to play their first game in the tournament. So they essentially had to forgive that tournament seating, which means that they didn't play for uh, the tournament championship. So this should be an interesting matchup. Obviously, both teams got off a win. Major win by Texas Southern defeating Southern, who's usually in the top, but they could not hold the ball, put it in the hole, a lot of turnovers. Texas Southern actually beat them down. It surprised a lot of people. It'd be interesting. Prairie View got a big win over Alcorn. So be interesting to see that matchup. It looks like those teams might be the teams. They creep up and are at the top of the race on the women's side. And where is the uh, conference championship of the SWAT being played? Right here in Houston, right here in your backyard at Toyota Center. All games, and it's my understanding that I got a little insight that the tournament is a three-year deal. It looks like they've re-signed a three-year deal. And it'll be back here um, the following three years. 
but they will do a slight change in the tournament. They'll only play the semifinals and the championship games here on Texas Southern University. They'll play the quarterfinals on the campus. So that, that's starting in 2017. Say, say that again now. The yes. championship games will be at two in the center? Yes, semifinals and the championship games. So two days, okay. essentially. Then Friday and Saturday, semifinals. Men's and women's and the finals for the men's and women's will be at the Toady Center. They'll play the first round of the tournament, which is the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. They'll play that at the home campus site of the higher C team. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I think they're trying to get away uh, with uh, those early games. Just wasn't getting enough. Well, the yeah, I was here for some of those. There's nobody here. That, yeah, that, those. But if you look at what was playing for semifinals and championships, they were very well attended, so they were happy with their part. And so that's the slight change. I think it's a smart change. Yeah, it, I think about it. It does make more sense. And I think the championship games are, you know, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, semifinals and championship. Kind of more folks have a chance to get to the to get here for them. Yeah, so that, that does make some sense. You know, plus, personally, as long as TSU, both sides – is in the semifinal. It's all good for me. So, right. you know, I agree with. You. So, yeah, okay, that does make some sense. I like that. Okay, so I look forward to being here for that. But yeah, real quick, one other thing. Mm-hmm. Didn't get a chance to really talk with everybody about the celebration bowl. Kind of talked about the attendance there, thirty-five, and where they stood in all the bowls. I had a chance to go to Atlanta. Saw that game. Beautiful contest. ESPN uh, really rolled roll out the red carpet, and I say literally at the College Football Hall of Fame Museum when they had the dinner the second night, which they call the championship dinner. They literally had red carpet going into the dinner. It was very nice. They had Jay Harris of ESPN. I'm sure that wasn't just for you, Doc. Yeah, that's what I thought. A lot of people told me they started clapping when I came in. So I think it was just good timing because the MC stood up there. So it worked out their way. So I guess I need to be careful about <laughs> taking all that through the head. But with that, the first night they were at the Georgia Aquarium. Anybody familiar with Atlanta and Georgia Aquarium? It's one of the best in the world, obviously, in the country. Um, and they had the facility to themselves. They had a nice banquet dinner. Um, and then after the dinner, they allowed the players to go around the aquarium and see exotic fish uh, for uh, about an hour or so. And it was uh, just the teams, very open to themselves. They really enjoyed it. They had a chance to go to the hospitals uh, to look and, and really bring some bright uh, energy and life, if you would, to uh, the sick that were there at those hospitals. And then um, on Friday, obviously, they backed off a little bit, but they did go to the museum, Martin Luther King's uh, museum there, and to a person that we interviewed. They couldn't talk enough about how they retreated and how they loved the game, coaches as well. And obviously, it came down to game day, Georgia Dome. In two years, uh, what would really be nice is they'll be playing in the new state of art stadium as it's getting re- getting built and you see it going up but um, everything was really nice and then the game happened to be a very entertaining game uh, hotly contest uh, one thing for SWAC folks that we didn't like is we didn't come out on top SWAC dominated in terms of attendance Alcorn showed up showed out purple and gold was everywhere A&T was very solid but not quite at the level of Alcorn and the SWAC fans, you've seen folks everywhere, Alabama A&M, Alabama State shirts and jackets supporting the SWAC, uh, Texas Southern jackets everywhere, Prairie View 
Jackson State, um, the arch enemy of Auckland. They were still there proud and pulling for the team. So it was a good thing to see. Uh, even seeing Mississippi Valley State and Arkansas Pine Bluff got in the house and were cheering. You did see some uh, folks in the MEAC, South Carolina State, FAMU. Many people, you could make sure that they were there when you seen the orange and green jackets. <laughs> As people were laughing uh, about that, that uh, made sure that they had their colors bright and proud. So they showed up and showed out too. But the SWAC uh, really made sure that they uh, were there in numbers. And so that's where you got the 35-5. Again, uh, marvelous start. The game played well. Can't say enough kudos about ESPN and what they did. Hopefully, it'll continue and trend in the positive direction. And uh, your interviews are on uh, SoundCloud? Yeah, you can go to SoundCloud. We did special interviews. We had interviews with the coach, North Carolina, Auntie Broadway, and actually had two interviews with him because uh, he came on the show the following week, so you can pick that up and talk about it. He talked about how much he liked it, how the one of the hot topics that go on the board about that discussion was the fact that he said that he pushed for the bowl from the very beginning. There were some MEAC fans that kind of pushed against the bowl. They wanted to play in the playoffs, but he openly stated that they, and when he says they, HBCUs are not financed at this time uh, to make true uh, championship runs in the playoffs. So this is an opportunity that you can't pass up when you look at the money. Essentially, um, each conference gets a million dollars. And the teams get like 70% of that, 60% of that, 65 to 70% of that, I just say. So you can't even get that when you play your big money game, money game for beatdown. And this is playing somebody for a quarter-bowl championship. And in this case, it was the number one and number two respective teams in just about everybody's uh, poll, particularly the major polls for those FCS programs. So it was a four championship. Black College National Championship. So they worked out really well for the Aggies as they got it done. I have the commissioner from the MEAC interview with him on there that you can listen to. And so it was really exciting. Great interviews. And so you can go to SoundCloud and check those out as well. Great information about why this Celebration Bowl is important. Kudos to you, Doc. Well done, as always. Thank you. A few things in closing uh, the Rice Owls women's team. See on Twitter that they were victorious today. Defeated a UTSA at Tudor Fieldhouse 49-48. So that's head coach Tina Langley's first Conference USA win in her first season at the helm at Rice. Isles Conference record evens at 1-1. One one. Uh, the men's squad lost another close conference game. I tell you, Coach Rhodes, is, his squad is playing tough. There, They lost at, at UTSA 85-80 today to uh, fall to 0-2 and CUSA play. They're not 5-10 overall, but they don't they don't lay down. They play hard. They play competitive. Got a chance to watch their game at UTEP. It was a one-point loss. Uh, UTEP scored game-winning basket, I think, with 6-7 seconds left. Saw a game on the American Sports Network on TV. Had a chance to switch to that and catch that. But Coach Rhodes and his, his, his guys are playing hard, and he's starting – He's got DeMarcus Evans as a freshman for the Isles, and he's, he's a real deal doc. So he's got a, a solid building block for the future of, of the Owls there. Nice. And HBU men, I think, surprised a lot of folks who follow the Southland Conference with their 99-73 road win 
Saturday at Northwestern State. And say that again, 99-73 road win at Northwestern State. Uh, Huskies' first win against the Demons there, I think, ever. Um, so they're one to know when Southland played. HBU women lost in Sharp, also there at Northwestern State, 55-44. Both uh, teams will play Magnese State. The women play Monday inside Sharp Gym, 7 p.m. tip-off, and then the men play, if I believe I have it correct, on Tuesday at 7 p.m. inside Sharp Gym. Wrap it up with two things about my beloved Cougars. One, statement from a post-game comment that Coach Herman made after the uh, Peach Bowl victory is a quote that uh, I think was transcribed. I got it from Mark Berman of Fox Sports 26 Twitter account. Quote, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention or at least implore to recruits out there and high school football players that if you want to win championships and you want to win New Year's Six Bowl games and win 13 games and kiss trophies and get really big rings and get a lot of nice things that are becoming with no strings that you can certainly do it at one of the finest institutions in the country and in my opinion the greatest city in America end quote that's Coach Herman you see how he, how, how he rolls and we're just gonna we're not gonna we'll touch on this next podcast but just gonna toss out a little nugget to everybody Doc and I have been discussing few scenarios for Cougs moving to power five conferences because this past few days a lot of discussion naturally the Cougars are riding high and the alums riding high with the momentum of the success of the football team and waiting for invites from the Big 12 and uh, Sports Illustrated's Pete Thamel came out I think last Sunday with comments that the Big 12 members Texas schools will not invite U of A to enter the conference but that didn't stop alums from from uh, dreaming, believing that an invite is on its way to the Big 12. Because other people are saying, other folks, quote-unquote insiders, are saying that the invite is coming, that the invite is on its way. Well, other people have said that they prefer the Cougs go to the Pac-12. Some folks say they prefer the Cougs go to the Big 10. And even a few people have said they want the Cougs go to the ACC. So, last few days, I and I kicked out a few scenarios of Cougs going to those other conferences with uh, what teams may join them in the new conference once it all shakes out. So, maybe we'll get into that discussion in our next podcast. Absolutely. So, there's a little tease for the listeners right there. And some of them make sense. I think all of them make sense in one way or form or fashion. But personally, Doc and I believe that in terms of TVs and eyeballs, you know, broadening, expanding the Big 12's TV brand, inviting U of A's doesn't make sense. That's, right. our, that's our personal viewpoint on that. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but personally, Doc and I don't feel that's going to happen just based on that reason alone and hell some other alums feel point blank and of adamant that as long as Longhorns are in charge U of H will never be invited to the Big 12 
Hell, that may be the reason why. Who knows? But there are different factors going on there, and politics are involved as well. And I will say this. Give President Couture credit. She has done a great job of networking with the Texas politicians. So anything is possible. I'll just leave it at that. Doc, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Listeners, thank you for your tweets and your support. And we are getting close and close to uh, T-shirts. So keep your eye out on that. may have some more information posted on the Houston Rombard View website, HoustonRombardView.com. Doc, real quick, remind folks how they can find you on Twitter. Yes, you can find me Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Instagram at the social media platforms of Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can go to the website at THG-Agency.com and get all kinds of great information and research on HBCU athletics. And you can listen to the show, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab on KCOHradio.com. Tune in at Radio. Uh, just KCOH, and you can also listen to the podcast recording of that show if you can't catch it live, which is, again, every Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can catch it on SoundCloud at Dr. Ville's, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Thanks. Thank you as well, Doc. And last thing, we want to wrap it up. Since we know that, unless you know, that the city of Houston is the host of the Men's Final Four in 2016, so keep this in mind. Monday night, 8 p.m., Big 12 basketball. Should be a matchup of one versus two. The Kansas Jayhawks versus the Oklahoma Sooners. You want to see some excellent basketball. Tune in ESPN Monday night, OU versus KU. Oh, yeah. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Because one of those teams, if not both, may be here in Houston playing in Final Four. So just keep that in mind. And I'm already going to say right now, I've already been approved to cover the men's Final Four. So definitely have my eyeballs on the OUKU game. Not even talking about the Rockets, except to say they've lost four straight. Defense is, is, is a mess. And the less we can say about the Rockets, we'll just keep it at that. Doc, thank you once again. Listeners, thank you for your tweets. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your questions. Going to wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.